Julia, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. As with everyone else, I know you're very busy, not only with the beginning of the school year, but lots of various uh, news announcements coming from your organization. Uh, number one that I found especially interesting is the new report on equity cybersecurity topping the um, the EdTech Trends Report for, for 2022. Uh, so uh, congratulations on being able to release that. I'm still surprised how people can do anything during a pandemic or even, you know, as, as we hopefully are coming out of it. But this has been some of the first real hard data I've seen that can kind of help the industry, help the communities wrap their heads around what we just experienced and, and how we can go forward. So maybe we start off, just tell a little bit how you got it done. So how we got it done. So um, one of the things as an organization, especially I came in, um, in, in this leadership position during the pandemic. So it was interesting just to experience that. But um, one of the things was to try to figure out what kind of role an ed tech director or a digital learning leader um, actually plays within an SEA, um, but also trying to track in some ways policymakers and um, state education agencies like priorities and how the, the pandemic, particularly in the area of ed tech, has maybe impacted those priorities as we start to come out of the pandemic, right? We're not completely out, but we're on, on the way out. And our goal was to sort of um, take a first attempt at like, let's survey our state leaders and folks within the leadership of state education agencies and maybe in policy offices and governor's offices, because depending on how your state is um, organized, that that is a, a, a place that also has um, information. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to just identify what the priorities were on ed tech and ed um, in general. And um, it was exciting because we're going to actually, this is our first year. We plan on, we have another two years that we want to at least do it. And we like to keep going from there because we think it will help um, states maybe think about how they can maximize or um, optimize the investments that were made, especially in the ed tech space during the pandemic. There was lots of um, funding. Um, there's lots of regular funding as well that comes through regular federal channels and state channels for um, educational technology. And we just kind of wanted to get a pulse, like a pulse, um, take a pulse in that space. So um, yeah, we were excited. We got a really great response. I think that was my biggest surprise was a lot of people responded and <laughs> they were, uh, you know, because I mean? normally like with a survey, you're like, all right, let's see what the response rate will be. Yeah. But um, we did hear from all 50 states. Um, we heard from the District of Columbia. We heard from our Department of Defense schools that are around the country. And we heard from one of our U.S. Uh, territories um, in the Pacific, the Northern Mariana Islands. Um, and it was state superintendents and, you know, CETA members and um, other senior officials. But what is interesting is not only are we knowing about the ed tech stuff, like not everybody has an ed tech office, you know, they don't always sit in the same spots um, to even what the priorities are, you know, they're really focused on teacher retention and recruitment, which is no surprise. I mean, we were reading about that. Um, cybersecurity is still a very hot topic. So um, we wanted to see what that was and then how do we support our CETA members to be um, supportive of those priorities within their own um, agencies. Yeah, and you mentioned the cybersecurity and I mentioned it up at top, that was a number that was um, quite startling, that 70% uh, of the respondents reported um, that they are victim of a cyber attack. I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, that's a, you know, if, even during the pandemic, and I know when I talk with district leaders and, and other folks that, um, 
you know, those cyber attacks did not slow down just because of the pandemic. If anything, they accelerated, right? Well, and I think during the pandemic, we found out how vulnerable school districts really were to cybersecurity um, um, things. One, because not everybody's in the same space, right? They're all over the place. You're connecting from offsite, um, which can, you know, um, create extra um, opportunities. Um, And a lot of technology was being deployed, right, without probably going through normal vetting. (laughs) Hopefully districts are having a vetting process, but it might have been, you know, shortened in order to be able to serve students and educators during the pandemic. So um, I'm not really surprised as much as um, I'm more surprised about, you know, that the states are not necessarily providing funding for those districts. Um, I mean, I think we're all, even as, you know, personally, we're all victims of something, right? We now, especially within this space, we know like, oh, that's a suspicious email. We know enough, right? And trying to do that on a larger scale, but just trying to figure out how as a state you're going to, not everybody's going to want to pay a ransom. It's always, in this case, it's always preventative is better. So what does that look like? Um, and we have a, a cybersecurity and data collaborative, which is um, currently being funded by the Gates Foundation to help our state leaders become sort of more aware of what's in the space in terms of policy um, and, 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 and in some ways to help them advocate for um, better policy but also to identify what states could do to actually mitigate some of the cybersecurity um, risks wholesale. Um, So like in Connecticut, um, we talk about how the state bought DDoS mitigation software for the entire state, right? And that's one way a state can play a role because it helps out the little guys too, the little public library, the small district that may not have that in their budgets to pay for, but that's one way to cut off like initially like, you know, one of the octopus's tentacles of cyber security, you know, like cyber attacks, like take that arm off. And then how do you um, find other ways to fund things? And of course, it also comes down to, you know, user education, helping everybody understand what their role is to protect um, and safeguard um, data and um, student privacy. So uh, student data privacy. So yeah, it, it was interesting to see that, but it'll be interesting to see how states will organize themselves to take advantage um, of the way that you can come together collaboratively to actually, you know, combat a problem and lower yeah. the risk for everybody. Well, let me ask you this: Were there any surprises for you when you when you started to rake through the data or numbers, or um, was it uh, was just more of a, a reinforcement of what you've seen? I think um, it was more of a reinforcement. I, I think I was more surprised about just the response rate. Like that was great that people were willing to like give us that information, um, and because I think they wanted it, right? And they can use it. What we're finding now is a lot of our state members are coming to us saying, this is gonna be really helpful in legislative session coming up, right? It's mm-hmm. gonna back some of the things that I'm asking for that we continue to do. Um, it did affirm the fact that we knew that there's no commonality of there's an office of ed tech here. You know, there's no, in terms of role, it sits in different places in different, um, different states. States are organized differently. And I think that's a big thing for like um, ed tech, like vendors and product people to understand that just because you may have success in this one state and it says it's local control and you go to another state and it says local control, it doesn't mean it's the same type of experience. Um, and that sort of thing, the disparity, it's nice for us to figure out where they typically sit. And and one of the things I've been thinking about, because I came in through academic computing, so post-secondary, but doing it on the IT side, right? Not the instructional side. And it wasn't until I got into K-12 and I really like, oh, this is about learning. Like, I understand this is the industry sector that I'm in. 
how do I support besides business operations, right? That's operate, you know, you have to collect those things and keep things moving. How do I support what the industry sector that I'm in? Um, and that really changed my thinking about like, what kind of skills do we need our um, folks at state level to understand? A lot of folks come in from the districts, but a lot of people in those CIO offices actually come from other government agencies. So how you support the, you know, the Department of Fish and Wildlife is a lot different than how you support your Department of Ed right. in terms of the impact that you can have on in the classroom, right? So um, helping, we're, we're trying to think about how we can help our CIO sector understand more of the role that they play within their own SEAs, but also how they impact the instructional side yeah. uh, and everything else. So, How, how have you seen the, the role of states change during the pandemic? Do they take on greater responsibilities maybe than had been there before or, or a greater investment? I think that, well, I feel like everybody was just doing what they could to help um, schools um, serve their students um, and their local their local districts. In fact, um, I think they were able to be a little bit more flexible, um, which in a state system we're typically not as flexible. And 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 that's designed on purpose. I mean, you don't want to have systems, you know, like government systems being so impacted by what's going on out there because it, we would be changing every four years and it would be it would be complete madness for everybody. You need to have something that's de dependable. But in some ways, the pandemic allowed states to be a little bit more responsive because maybe there weren't requirements that they had to completely follow, right? There were still requirements, but maybe they were streamlined or um, now they can kind of look back and say, well, is that the way we did that? Is the way that we're still going to keep it? Because maybe we don't, maybe there's a better way to do this. Yeah. Um, and I often think of during the pandemic, no one was talking about how they missed the bell schedule or they missed science <laughs> lab per se. They missed community and they missed rituals of community, right? Um, you know, kids were missing the prom and that was a big deal and, and just getting, being able to be together. Um, so the question is, how could we do that now and learn those lessons so that we, we carry those in so those communities can still be connected to one another, even if they go hybrid, because a lot of states now have virtual um, school options for their students, but also taking those devices that kids took back and forth they can still take them back and forth, even when they're back in school full time, you know what I mean? And back in the normal, quote unquote, you know, environment, they yeah. can still take those things. So we don't want them to put those things down and not use them. I know that everybody's sort of maybe teched out a little bit. Right. Um, and that's more of a societal thing about work, like, you know, like school family balance. Um, away from the screens. Yeah. yeah um, but there's ways to be connected um, through technology. And we found that you could still do that. I mean, it wasn't perfect. Um, but I think everybody had really good intentions. Yeah. Um, and everything the, the other theme that you highlight uh, in the report is the the, the ideas of equity, uh, which is something else that was EP before the pandemic. As I say, you know, it was always something that was talked about and hands were wrung and there were discussions at in-person conferences and, and, and sessions. Um, but it really came to the forefront, right? I mean, it really became the, the raw reality of the inequities uh, within districts and within states, uh, yeah. between the access to not only devices but just the uh, the, uh, the, the know-how or how to use them. Maybe talk a little bit about some of the results that you saw in the survey regarding equity. Um, yeah, and what's interesting about equity, and and again, it goes back to sort of the things we were working on before the pandemic that just sort of got spotlighted even more so during the pandemic. 
is we have always believed that technology has been a way to provide equitable access to high quality teachers, you know, high quality learning experiences, high quality materials, regardless of where you live, right? So, um, and that could, technology could facilitate that sort of access for students. And um, during the pandemic, we could find out, you know, the hard stuff, like, you know, the physical stuff that you can touch, like this person has access, this person doesn't have access, right? Or a device, not a device. Um, and then there was other inequities that we were finding, right? Like teachers who has skills to actually teach in this space. I mean, there's a whole bunch of things. So um, for us, the big um, things that we've also noticed that is, um, you know, well, funding is important and funding will always have to be there. We need sustainable funding for this type of thing is a lot of districts are small, right? They're not these large urban spaces, uh, urban um, districts where they um, get to, but even urban districts had, they struggled too. In some ways, your rural districts and your smaller districts were better able to adapt because they, you know, if, if you're in a living in a rural area and only two kids don't have access, it's very easy for the superintendent to call the ISP and say, what do we need to do to get these two kids access yeah. versus a bigger system where you know, they may have thousands of, yeah. of kids. But the rural um, and underserved areas was, was really interesting. Um, we're always going to, I think as a country, we need to be moving towards access to every single home regardless um, whether or not you have a student there, that's great. If you do, we can use it for school. But if you don't, there's telehealth and other services that can come to your door. Um, but also, how do we collect data to then serve specific communities that might have certain criteria around access? So I live in Washington State, and we have you know a couple of mountain ranges in our state here, and there are there are valleys where we're not bringing broadband to them. There's no way that someone's going to lay that fiber for so many miles to get them. But those kind of valleys are almost the same as those valleys in West Virginia that also are struggling that the broadband um, benefit may not be able to subsidize. So then how do we collect almost home access data in some ways to find out like, hey, these communities are similar and then drive policy to help those communities specifically. So it's not this sort of shotgun approach. Um, but we want to have, um, you know, connectivity, connectivity to everything. And again, where states can play a role, though, is with these smaller districts is how do you help them, you know, do co-ops or work with their local, you know, with their regional service centers to provide cybersecurity services or um, purchasing power or, you know, a, a public private partnership in terms of connectivity, um, a whole region could could benefit. So I think for me, that was um, an equity kind of thing is just trying to figure out what those are. And it's not like you should just be working on all the parts that you can, sure. you know what I mean? Um, and whatever opportunity comes, you should take advantage of those opportunities um, right. to try to solve things in certain parts. You, you won't get it all in one part. You know what I mean? You're going to eat pie in little, right. little pieces. Well, one final question here. Let me ask you, when you take a look at this set and, you, and again, I anticipate you doing this on an annual basis. What are your thoughts about in the next two or three years? I mean, there, there's some good news in education, right? There's been an infusion of funding. There uh, has been uh, a renewed understanding of the need for technology in schools. I mean, you know, as recently as three or four years ago, you would still make an argument for having, you know, computers in the classroom, <laughs> right? So I think I think we're past that conversation finally. But give us a give us a, your your horizon look of of um, all things going well. Uh, glasses are all half full uh, where you see um, the state of play of states in two or three years. 
Um, I see as playing a role in helping um, districts and ed tech uh, product producers, vendors, um, contributing to the research and the efficacy parts of um, whether or not tools work. Um, there's a big need for it. Um, there's all this investment made. And of course, people are saying, so how did you spend it? And, and can you what can you show for it? And we want to be able to show um, those tools that really work well. Um, and, and, and there's, you know, there's scales of evidence, right? And we can help them figure that out because uh, the federal programs under the um, Every Student Succeeds Act has, you know, evidence that's tied to it. When you spend money, you have to show. So we can start to show that, but people have to be willing to put it in there. You know what I mean? That the research in there or vendors have to be willing to put their products up against something to say, yes, there is research here to help um, folks make better decisions in there. I think states could also, um, I'm hoping that when they read the report, you know, and it's not just our ed tech folks, it's people in the SEAs about aligning your um, priorities <laughs> with your budgets. Um, because people say, yes, this is important, this is important. But then when you look at someone's budget, it's not reflected. You're like, how is, there's a misalignment there. So how do you um, align better budget stuff? But my goal too um, for the organization is regardless of what your state chief has as a priority, one, do you know even what it is? Do you know what social and emotional learning is and what space it inhabits and what kind of maybe policy is around or what the trends are um, but then how does technology support your state chief or your agency's priorities? Because that's what that's their thing, right? And in four years, when you get a new chief and they come in and they have a new priority that's not necessarily digital learning, um, how do you then support that priority? You know, we can support special ed. We can support everything. You know, we can support um, English language learners, we can do it all. Um, it's just helping our members understand how technology supports and helping the SA understand how ed tech can help an agency move forward and meet those students' needs in those in those priority areas across the board. Yeah. Um, it's in that sort of thing. So that's where I kind of see us is trying to figuring out what the prior, you know, even teacher retention and recruitment. How do you, how does it look when you have um, technology in that kind of space as well? So. Yeah, I think it's that. And then, of course, there's some policy stuff that we're working on, um, as always. You know, privacy is a, a, the train that I think is coming into the station. You know, cybersecurity is here, but privacy and that kind of needs to be kind of worked out um, for our, our minors um, and, uh, you know, our minors in our school system and everything else. So it's 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 sort of that. But helping people just understand what ed tech is and how it can really serve a great role within an SEA if, if a, um, a state agency really looks at how they can be that coordinator. I often joke if you're a Gen Xer or older, you talk about Julie McCoy on the love boat, you know, the cruise director. In some yeah. ways, that's the role that we play is like, what can I do? What activities are happening? Where do I can find resources? We're often the one that gets the phone calls. And then we can, if we know what's going on in our agency, we can get people connected and we can really work that role as a connector yeah. um, and an accelerator of change in a good way. Well, fingers crossed that things are back to normal or is whatever normal is going to mean these days. Um, thank you for your work. Thank you for this report. I think it really kind of gives um, a, a, a better focus on what has happened and what states and, and educators need to do to go forward. So I appreciate that. And once again, appreciate your time. Thanks, Julia. Thank you.